Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, cursors and shepherds of Calderon? This is Ben and Ryan from Phantology here to talk about the Furies of Calderon by Jim Butcher. Yeah, this is our first duo podcast, Ben. So yeah, I know it's also yeah. We're we're finally off the off the leash. We don't have Josh or Stephen watching over us. <laughs> I know, and I think that Stephen has read this book. I think it was a while ago. Um, so he might listen to the podcast, but I don't think that Josh will listen to this podcast since he has not read the book. So we can feel free to trash talk Josh, Josh, however much we want. Yeah. And I think Jake has also read this book once upon a time. Um, but you're the kind of the one who initiated this read. I read this a few years ago. And so I'm rereading this as yeah. well. Um, so what inspired you to get into this? Yeah. So obviously we're big fans of the Dresden files on this channel and I had, uh, I just wanted something a bit lighter, like, uh, you know, on the channel, we've been covering like a bit heavier books recently with like, uh, the, the thorns, like King of Thor- Thorns and Prince of Thorns. And, uh, I j- yeah, I want something a bit lighter and the other things we've been covering are maybe not dark, but like, are like a bit more high-minded, like, uh, like the fa- foundation and just like all these, yeah, heavier, maybe headier books. And so, yeah, I, I was a big fan of Dresden Files because of the way it just like you're able to just get sucked into it and it's just very enjoyable. And so I wanted something else that hit that same nerve. And do you think it did hit the same nerve as Dresden Files? Yeah, I think so. I think that it was clear. Like I, I think Dresden Files, since it was written in first person, allowed you to like go on more of like a fun ride throughout each book. It was more like a, like a, just a fun romp each book. This one was had Mm -hmm. more of like the classical elements of fantasy in it like with POV changes and a bit bigger cast of characters and bit, bit more sweeping of changes, but I, it, it definitely did. It was, it it satisfies the itch and the, like, I didn't feel like I was going to read about somebody getting his fingers chopped off the next page or like, you know what I mean? Like it just Mm -hmm. was uh, a bit more enjoyable. I could kind of relax a little bit more while reading it almost. Yeah. So this is, this is more epic fantasy, whereas Dresden Files is urban fantasy and Dresden Files is also first person, whereas this is third person and from the perspective of a few different people. So those are a few differences off the top of my head. It doesn't necessarily feel like the same author too much to me. I think that when I, because I read the Dresden Files recently and that felt a bit more adult to me. And so my recollection of this series was that it was a bit more YA. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading through it again recently, Furies of Calderon certainly has a lot more adult themes that 
I didn't remember. So I probably wouldn't be comfortable reading this with a <laughs> kid who was uh, younger than 16 or something like that, you know? Yeah, it definitely, like, it's not, like, explicit, I don't think. It, like, verges on, like, PG-13, but I don't think it's quite R, maybe. I don't know. It's not, like, nearly as bad as, like, uh, some of the grim dark stuff that's out there. But oh, it definitely, definitely has, it, it, it does have those themes. So I can see why, well, I guess, why did you think, so uh, I was about halfway through and you mentioned remembering that was a bit more YA and I kind of pushed back on that idea a little bit, but then I got to the end and I was like, oh, I think I know why he was saying that was more YA. So do you remember like why you, and, and we've also talked about on the channel that like people really like to draw di like distinctions between YA and classical fantasy or epic fantasy and in reality things are a lot more blurred so we're not trying to like really you know put this in one category but like why did you kind of remember it as being more why than not yeah i i don't know really I'm, I'm trying to think of why i might have classified that in my mind it follows tavi who's a younger boy and mm -hmm. it has some elements of pokemon the, the <laughs> yeah. furies are in yeah. it and so actually maybe maybe this is related so when you and i and steven and josh when we went to sanderson's lectures in college he i remember him talking about codex Alaire before i had read it and he said that i don't remember the exact context maybe you do but basically he he mentioned that it's not the how good an idea is it's how well it's written and to exemplify this point, he used this series, Codex Alira, and Jim Butcher, I think, uh, was was challenged by someone I don't I don't know who to write a, a strong book on maybe a little bit weaker ideas, and the weaker ideas that the person provided were the Lost Roman Legion and Pokemon. Maybe not necessarily weaker ideas, but like what you think of them. Yeah, like two disparate no subjects. Yeah. 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 How how the heck do those two go together? Yeah. And uh, and so you you really see that in this series where the the culture and the society that's set up is very similar to the Romans. There's even some references, and these these furies are, are kind of help you control the elements and people i guess they can find them out in the wild similar inspiration to pokemon so it's very interesting that it i, I don't that these two ideas jim Butcher decided to bring these two ideas together and write a series about them yeah it was definitely like a hold my beer moment by jim butcher like oh he, yeah you think i can't do this let me show you it's cool and uh, i mean maybe the uh, the other reason i just thought is there's some similarities in my head to Percy Jackson and the Olympians a little bit. I, I don't know why it, just because Percy Jackson has the Greek gods and follows a teenage boy as he's mm -hmm. adventuring through life. And I don't know, there there's, there's a number of reasons why I could have made this that weird kind of connections, yeah. this weird jump and categorized it wrongly as YA. Yeah, I guess I thought that you might have kind of thought of it as YA because I haven't read the second book, but like it's hinted that he's maybe I don't want to do any spoilers right now. So we maybe talk about it later, but it's hinted that Tavi is going to go like do a thing that's commonly associated with uh, 
with YA books in the second book. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was maybe thinking that maybe the, the rest of the series maybe seems more of a YA type thing. Yeah. And it also could have been, I mean, this book came out in 2004. So maybe that was like, well, you're like 16 at that time. No, 12, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, hold on. Yep. You're 12. Oh yeah. 12. You're 12. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's embarrassing. Anyway. We can't do math. Yeah, I can't do math. So I don't know when exactly you read it, but maybe you're reading it at the time that you're reading all these other books. Yeah. So I read it when I was in college. Oh, did you? But the first okay. time. So okay. it probably would have been uh, six years, six years ago or so. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you this. Does Jim, like, do you think that if you were to compare this book to the first like three Dresden books or whatever, because I think the first three Dresden books were written before this. I, the first Dresden book came out in 2000. This one came out in 2004. Do you think that he like Butcher evolved a lot as an author or I mean, like they're different books. So it's hard to like compare exactly quality when they're so different. But I don't know. To me, it's pretty evident that he's able to handle a larger cast of characters and a lot more moving parts in this book than he attempted yeah. to at first with Dresden. Yeah, I, I think so. It's it's definitely, like you said, it's more characters, more perspectives. Uh, it's it's longer books as well. So mm-hmm. you, you have a lot more details in the world building. And I can say that I like this more reading. I like the first book of Codex Alera a lot more than the first three books of the Dresden Files. Yeah. So I, I would say that at least for me, he has made progress as a writer. Yeah. And it's interesting because with the Dresden Files, I mean, we're not going to spoil too much there, but like he goes on to develop a large cast of characters, but still, I mean, even up to like book 10 or 11 or 12, they're still like in each novel, they're treating the cast of characters pretty distinctly, right? Like normally he only covers kind of one cast of characters at one set. Like he's either like with the vampires or with the Fae or with the, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting that, I mean, even though he still developed a lot more as an author, the Dresden Files still tries to kind of like in each novel, keep the cast of characters pretty small. That has started to kind of change with Battleground. But I mean, still, that's still kind of like the theme of Dresden Files. So it's it's interesting. It was cool to see the side of Jim Butcher, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, it's it, if I read if I read them side by side, not knowing or at the same time, not knowing the author, I don't think I would have really connected the books. Like I, I would have recognized that it was the same author. Just they seem like different enough works to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so one more thing that we kind of wanted to talk about um, before we jump into the spoiler section was, to me, there's a lot of similarities to this in Wheel of Time. We talked, like, before the podcast, we were talking about, like, the the there's a part where there's um, a character that kind of put, gets a collar put on them as a slave that seems very similar to um, a plot line in the Wheel of Time. There's just like cultures that feel very similar to each other. And we know like this book was written in 2004, which is when wheel of time, like was pretty, you know, pretty popular. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that Jim Butcher was influenced a lot by wheel of time? I I don't think I've ever heard him talk about it. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, how could any epic fantasy author not be influenced by Wheel of Time? At this point, pretty much all of those authors have read the book and read those books. If not, then... I, yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I if, you, if you're writing in fantasy, yeah. If you're writing in fantasy and not having read Wheel of Time, then yeah. There are some things that uh, we talked about. Maybe we'll get into them a little bit more in the spoiler section. Yeah. That that seemed very similar to things in, in the Wheel of Time, but I, I don't think it was similar enough that it was blatantly copying or anything. I don't know. Yeah, so... I'm um, I'm with you. I think a lot where it's hard not to copy Wheel of Time because Wheel of Time is such an expansive book series that it it covers so many things. Mm-hmm. But it did take me out a little bit of the story when I got to those parts. I think especially the well, we'll talk about it when we get to the spoiler section. But it was something that I think subtracted from the story for me. Yeah, I'm interested to hear exactly what you're thinking okay well um we'll jump into spoilers now so if you have not read well, the book, let's give let's give like a a non-spoiler review just just off the top of your head oh yeah okay so non-spoiler this is kind of a classic um epic fantasy tale where we get kind of two pr- younger protagonists that um each have exciting viewpoints they end up merging together and um going on adventure like some adventures um and fighting a big evil at the end and largely succeeding i well that might be a bit of a spoiler but you know uh kind of a high level uh point of view there Mm -hmm. so i don't know what what else would you add to kind of a high level um overview well well, i mean i i think that's that's pretty i think that's pretty accurate but what do you think what do you think of the book oh what do i think about um I would say, yeah. So if I was to give a rating, I would say probably a seven out of 10. I tend to go for like a little bit lower on my ratings. I loved, I thought it was pretty creative, but I've seen pretty much everything that was done in the book done better elsewhere. So to me, if I was like going to refer, like if somebody came to me, and was like, I'm looking for a book, you know, that is enjoyable to read, that has like an immersive world that has multiple points of view there's like several books that I would recommend before this book. Now, if someone was like, I've already read Mistborn, I've already read like all these other books. And I'm like, Oh, this is a, you know, yeah, sure. You should read this book. It's, it's a fun book by an author that I really like. So I would say seven out of 10, just because there's, there's frankly a lot of competition for this exact uh, like segment that, that this book is in. Yeah. I'd probably say something similar, maybe 7.5 out of 10. It's, it's a good book. It's interesting. The concepts are interesting, like I mentioned earlier, with trying to bring together the Lost Roman Legion and Pokemon. And in this way, I certainly enjoyed it. There were some parts uh, I just felt a little bit, maybe a little bit frustrated by. Just I, I, There were certainly some aspects of the story that I would, I would say this fits well in YA and then other aspects that I think fit more in adult fantasy mm-hmm. and maybe the disconnect caused me to enjoy it a little bit less than I did on my previous read through. I could see that kind of like, you're like, Oh, this is like a pretty large higher book. And then bam, this like 
pretty intense thing happens and then yeah. you're like oh that's yeah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i would say it's similar for dresden sometimes you know you're like, oh this is a pretty fun romp and then like oh that 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 made me cringe yeah yeah jim butcher doesn't shy away from from kind of the more graphic side of things sometimes yeah so i guess we recommend this book obviously uh we normally only review things that we would recommend to people anyway so if you are interested in this book, I would for sure recommend going and picking it up. There's three books, right? It's a trilogy um, and it's all complete. No. No. Okay. This is. There's five. Wait. Wait, what? There's six books. Seriously? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I got myself into. But it's completed? Yeah, it's completed. It, the last book was published in 2009. Here we go. All right. So there's six books. Yeah, so maybe you're signing yourself up for a bit, but I will say this is one of those stories where you can read the first book and it's a complete it's a complete book. You know what I mean? You're you're left uh, knowing that characters are going to go on and do things, but there's also enough resolution of plot lines where you're not you don't feel the need to pick up um, the next book after it. You know, looking at the release date for these books, it was one a year from 2004 to 2009. Wow which is impressive because I'm thinking that he must have been writing and publishing around the same amount of Dresden file books, like once per year or for yeah. the same, for the same time period. So I, I, I could be wrong, but according, uh, thinking about this, he's writing one book in each series a year. That's yeah. impressive. That is like, you know, verging on Sanderson level of, uh, of publication. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because, well, not weird. I know that there's a long gap that we had recently in in between Dress and Files books. And I know that there was like valid reasons for that. But um, I just haven't been a fan of Jim Butcher in, I guess, in his heyday, you know, where he's publishing a book a year. So that's really cool to learn that about him. I never really um, picked that up. Yeah. So yeah, recommend going and picking up this book. And yeah, if you don't want spoiled for you, then I would um, stop listening now. Um, but before you stop listening, you should follow us on on YouTube or subscribe on YouTube, um, Phantology Books. Um, you can find us on Patreon if you feel the need to um, lend your dollars to a good cause. You can also find us on Twitter. You can no longer find us on OnlyFans. No, we Ryan has shut that side of our business down. He needs to get a real job now. Yeah, yeah, and um, we are. We also have a thriving Discord community um, with over two hundred two hundred members at this point. And it's funny because every time we kind of start to cover a new series, we always get like a few really hardcore fans of that series. So all you hardcore fans of theories of or of Codex Alera that we have not that uh, captured yet through our reviews of Dresden, feel free to come onto our Discord and tell us everything that we get wrong throughout this review, which I'm sure that you would probably already disagree with our seven and 7.5 hot takes. So, yeah. And I think you can find uh, invite, invites to that Discord on our Twitter. It's pretty, pretty easy. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, normally um, in this spoiler section, we kind of, do a high level, high level view of the plot points. Um, we're going to miss some things. We're going to um, kind of 
uh, skip over some things that might not have been super important, but we're just going to kind of give our, give our impressions on what happened. And yeah, that's kind of how we do this section. So, yeah, I think we're just going to talk about the parts of the story that were interesting to us yeah, or yeah. That, that we disliked parts that we liked. And certainly other people have other parts of the book that we, that were more interesting to them, that that's just how it goes, you know? So, so yeah, I thought that the start of this book was very intriguing where it kind of throws you into the deep end, so to speak with um, Amara. Is it Amara? Amara? I have also Amara. Yeah. Amara. And she, she's a cursor. And I guess like, uh, you're, you're kind of thrown on in the middle of this. It's like a, it's referred to as like a test. Like she's graduating from something and she has to perform a test, which at first you're like, Oh, you know, it's a, it's a test. Uh, like how high could the stakes be? But then you kind of gradually find out like, Oh, Dean, these are like some high stakes. Like she's trying to infiltrate like this, uh, like this group of traders. Um, and if they're captured, then they'll probably be killed. And so you kind of are thrust into this uh, high intensity situation. Yeah. So what did you think about that beginning? I thought it was pretty strong and I, it definitely sucked me in. Yeah, it was, it was a good way. There's a good hook, right? It, it yeah. captured your attention. You immediately start to learn about the world. You're learning well, like, what's a cursor? What is she? Uh, yeah. And you learn about the magic with her uh, flying and their furies and, so, so there's a lot that's put together in an interesting way. It's a good, it's a good way to start showing rather than telling, right? You don't have yeah. this huge info dump right at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. I, I enjoyed that. One thing I thought, so we're also introduced to her mentor, whose name is Fidel, Fidelius. And I thought, I can't remember if it's like right at the start. I think that there's like maybe a chapter in between or whatever, but you very quickly find out that he... Um, is a traitor he betrays her that is a twist that I didn't feel was quite like deserved at that point like it didn't really hit me as strongly as it could if I was exposed to this, these characters longer in fact most of the kind of punch of that of that twist was felt later on as you kind of Amara like described more and more just how important Fidelius was in her life. So that is kind of like a, a critique I would have is like, give us a bit more um, of interaction between these characters. Maybe this is like a, a halfway book twist where, you know, it's something that we really feel as an audience because the, the classic mentor, uh, you know, old uh, wise mentor, betraying somebody is like a gut punch um, if done correctly so that uh, yeah. although i really like the beginning this that was one of the weaker parts for me yeah i mean I, I see your side of things where you could butcher certainly could have developed their relationship together before he pulled the rug out from under us and revealed that fidelius is a double agent working against the crown and that could have been interesting it's hard to see it because the structure of the plot is written in such a way that you almost immediately know that Fidelius is a spy and that Amara is injured running away. And that's how she runs into Tavi is yeah. she, she's injured. And, uh, and, and so she's already on her back foot trying to get help. 
it's an interesting choice for him to certainly give that away so quickly. Yeah, it definitely sets up like uh, it's, it's it would definitely be a reworking of the plot, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would not presume to do that. Presume to do that on the fly, certainly. But it was still like I had this like while I was listening, I was like, okay, cool, he's a traitor, and I know that this is supposed to be a big thing, but it's just not for me right now. Mm-hmm. But I I do agree that like <clears throat> if a mentor sticks along around for too long, it gets almost like a little boring. Either it gets boring because you never feel like the character is quite in danger or you're like, why the heck isn't this mentor like stepping in and doing something? You know, you kind yeah. of, that's kind of like how you feel like reading the first like few books of Harry Potter, right? You're like, why is Dumbledore letting this happen? You know, like, mm-hmm. why is he like letting Harry like explore like the chamber of secrets, you know? So yeah, I definitely feel like it's important for a mentor to not be there uh, as much, but I still think that like, she could have still gotten separated from him and not known he was a traitor until he, you know, until like a key moment when he was supposed to do something or I don't know, like I said, I don't want to rework the plot because, but it was still something that I think could have been handled better. So, you know, who the, the relationship between Amara and Fidelius reminded me of (laughs) Uh, spoiler alert for Dresden files but it reminds me of the relationship between uh, what's the uh, Dresden and his apprentice Molly. Really? Like so, well, yeah, okay. just, just in the fact that we learn later on in the story that um, Amara, it's like, you, you can almost miss it where Amara is like, Oh, well, like I wanted to be more than just like, yeah. I, I wanted to be romantically involved with yeah him. she definitely and had yeah she's like young uh, i would imagine she's like just in her late teens early 20s mm-hmm. and yeah. he's like in his 50s or 60s so there's like a significant age gap that was one thing i was never super clear on her age because like the fact that she's just graduating from like this program or whatever like lent, like automatically makes you think like okay late teens early 20s mm-hmm. whatever but then you're like, oh, maybe it's like this like super selective division of like the Navy SEALs or something. And she's secretly like late 20s, early 30s or, you know, like I was never super clear on her age. And plus the fact that she like develops a relationship with this like older guy. Bernard, Bernard, Bernard. Yeah. You know, that Bernard. relationship ended up it's been years since I've read this, but the Fitz books, the Fitz and the Fool with. Oh, well, I don't want to, yeah, yeah, we don't want to spoil it, but you know what I'm saying. If you know, yeah. you know. Yeah, so Amara, yeah, kind of an interesting character throughout the book. We've kind of uh, touched on a lot of um, her plot points, but we're trying to kind of uh, maybe go through chronologically. So we'll we'll circle back to her, I'm sure. What do you think of our introduction to Tavi, um, where he kind of like, he we're introduced to him as he's like, has feminine wiles used against him to uh to the chagrin of his whoever he's apprenticing under um he loses the shepherd uh, the sheep that he's supposed to be um keeping track of it's kind of like we're kind of introduced to this character in like this funny way um where we don't really take him too seriously yeah um that's true he's it's it's a little like whimsical he's foregoing some of his responsibilities to try and impress a girl yeah. which ends up having some 
greater consequences than he thought would have later on with with the fl flock or of sheep or running away and and then there's this storm coming in right and yeah they need to go get the the sheep and then they encounter this greater threat the the marat who are who are coming in so all of this is is i think pretty interesting good setup for the world and also gets us into the action pretty quickly yeah to me this is really good storytelling right because nothing seems super forced like this is for sure like an interaction that could happen in like an everyday life right like and it's fun to read about um so i really enjoyed that that part of it like you know you kind of just randomly find yourself in like this very precarious situation and it all started with like this one seemingly like innocent choice so i i enjoyed that i also enjoyed how it introduced us to bernard um as kind of like a very thoughtful mentor to tavi where he makes sure that he like impresses upon tavi like the gravity of the situation like hey this isn't okay but at the same time is willing to uh, forgive him and kind of help him correct it so it is kind of a cool introduction to their relationship and it really makes you like bernard yeah he seems like a, a reasonable father figure, even though he's not his father. Yeah. And that's something that's also interesting. Like we, we don't really know everything that's going on with Tavi. Like we know that he is an orphan and we also know that for some reason he doesn't have these, these powers to call on the furies like everybody else does. So that's an interesting part of his character. Although I think it's, it's, funny because it's interesting in a way that we're not used to right like normally we're used to our viewpoint characters having powers that other people don't have um mm -hmm. and in this case that is kind of reversed the some another series that i think did this really well was the lycanius books right where our um, main main character in that book also struggles to like master this very basic skill that everybody else seems to be able to so yeah i really enjoy that uh that um maybe trope for a fantasy that's that's yeah mm -hmm. i like that it seems like there are quite a few tropes in this book yeah that that you can think of off the top of your head like he has his lineage is kind of unknown yeah. and he is he sort of embarks on a greater journey i he's not i it, it just seems very similar to to the hero's journey right yeah he's, i mean classic like he's even a farm boy you know classic shepherd you know like there's really yeah it really is you know follows this kind of trope that we're that we're used to yeah and i think we'll we'll see some more of those uh, tropes as the series goes on. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily, it's not a bad thing for a book to, to fall into tropes. I think there's, there's good ways to use tropes and there's bad ways to use tropes. And yeah, I think for the most part, these are good. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So he, so as we've kind of alluded to, as they're, as him and Bernard are kind of trying to, find the find the sheep um they come across this threat of the marat and this is something i kind of had a harder time envisioning because it talked about like big birds and i'm like how much threat could a bird really be but apparently like like i just honestly like picture them like massive chickens almost 
I don't know. Like that was kind of odd to me. And like each of them was paired, but then I don't know. So yeah, that was kind of interesting. And they ended up killing uh, this um, animal. I mean, dinosaurs, a lot of dinosaurs are okay. the ancestors like a of birds. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, they're like, the way they were described to me in my head, they were just like these enormous, super tall birds that could just destroy you with their beak. I mean, they're hunting sheep, so they're That's bigger than your run of the mill. So they're bird. like dragons, but not dragons almost maybe yeah they're feathered dragons without the ability to blow fire um also did you get that you probably didn't get this because you weren't as big a fan of pokemon as i was but the mountain is named gyarados which is the name of a pokemon in the original generation okay okay so small reference to pokemon that's that's really cool actually yeah so in the course of taking on these two, um, more, they, they were both Marat, right? Like, so, um, so Bernard- the Marat, the, the Marat guy is like kind of the handler or whatever. Yeah. He, he's, he's the person who's bonded with these birds there. I think his Chala or totem, maybe, I, I think that's what the, the phrase they use in the book. So yeah, the, there's the Marat who's the person. And then the two birds, I think they're called herd banes. Okay. Yeah, and so Bernard uh, ends up kind of dispatching them, but in in the course is severely injured, and they also get separated here, right? I'm forgetting. How does Bernard make it back to the homestead? His fury is mm. takes him back. Okay, and, and he has Tavi. He has Tavi earth... leaves. Okay, and he has the Earth Fury, right? Bernard. Is... Yeah, he has okay. two furies. I think he has is an earth fury named brutus and then he also has uh a wood a wood fury or forest uh, some other fury that gives him wood crafting that i forget its name okay and i guess like in the mid like somewhere in here i'm forgetting exactly where but you're also introduced to bernard's sister um who's at the homestead and she is kind of quelling um this village drama that's happening um, it seems like it escalates really quickly. I can't re- really remember what the original conflict was, but you can tell that there's like uh, like a lot of tension in this village, and that is primarily the like caused from like kind of one family who is like the village bullies. I don't know. You, I guess you could say. And so yeah, and so then uh, Bernard makes it back, and he is healed by his sister what's his sister's name again oh, sana yeah is it just sana isana yeah. isana yeah so isana tries is like healing him but she's also interfered um with uh so what did you think about like the whole like kind of village politics thing i i didn't really have too many thoughts on it okay it's it's i think sort of a way that it introduces asana as her own character and gives her something to do and proves that she in her own right is she she is capable of holding her own because she needs to sort of maneuver these these holders who are feuding in mm-hmm. in such a way that to um prevent conflict from breaking out and so she's capable of maneuvering people and just being her own character, I guess, 
this yeah. is sort of her introduction, us learning how competent she is. Yeah, I agree with that. I just don't know how necessary like Asana, because like Asana takes up a lot of oxygen in the story, right? Like especially with her um, kind of later plot line. So I don't know how necessary that was. Um, I mean, I guess if you're setting this book up for like, you know, six, six books in the series, then sure. But yeah, I just, uh, I guess it was, those were parts that I was like kind of wanted to just finish reading so I could make it back to like either Tavi um, or Amara. I don't know the, cause they're like clearly painted to be like our, you know, heroines. So, mm-hmm. but I could see people also like really loving Asana cause she kind of represents that, you know, super strong matriarch feel um, that just like totally, you know, kicks butt. So yeah yeah so i I finished the second book i've reread it and so asana definitely appears in that one as well and i think her story especially her backstory is important to just the greater greater story of the world and and i at least for me personally she does become more interesting more than just a story to fill space Okay, well, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's definitely, like we said from the beginning, there's a larger cast of characters. And so, and whenever that's the case, there's going to be characters that you personally don't enjoy reading about necessarily. Like I know mm-hmm. a lot of people really struggle with certain viewpoints in Stormlight Archive, or like there's always going to be viewpoints where you're like, ah, oh, just let's get this, get this viewpoint over with. So it's good to hear that she kind of gets a, a second wind in the in the next book. Otherwise, I would have felt like, why do I need to learn about this character? Okay, so what about what about when Tavi and and Amara meet up? Because that's kind of like a point in the book that you've been waiting for. Because you know these are both like young, likable characters. I thought that there would be a romance in there, but apparently Tavi has a thing for the older guys, and a uh, or sorry, <laughs> Amara has <laughs> Amara has. I think for the older guys and Tavi ends up finding a love interest of his own. But yeah, I, I thought it was fun when they met up and like, uh, you know, Amara is kind of acting like she's this runaway slave. And we see, we know that she's like super capable and kind of on a mission to discover, like save the kingdom almost, you know? So it, it is very um, well done. I thought in the fact that they, they're both, hiding this information from each other but also being very like vulnerable because they're in vulnerable situations together Mm -hmm. yeah i could see maybe how you'd initially think that they would form some sort of romance interest but amara is like we said in her late teens early 20s or as tavi's in his he's like i don't know 14 or 15 yeah and i feel like that's a big difference yeah for, for those ages not to say that there couldn't be anything later on down the road as as they get older but it was it was an interesting way to bring them together yeah but then very quickly um they started kind of making their way back to the homestead and bernard finds them after being healed by asana and this is where this is one kind of tone tone change that i didn't really see well okay i guess i wanted to get your thoughts on it because it was something i didn't really understand so Bernard was very harsh with uh, Tali, right? Or Tavi. And so much so that it kind of broke character for him. And it, it was mentioned that uh, sometimes when people are healed, that we're like that close to death, 
that like it changes them in like some fun, fundamental way. And so I thought that that was the case with Bernard. Now, like later on in the book, it doesn't seem like that because, you know, um, but like in this case, he was just like so um, mean to to Tavi. And we're like, the situation hadn't really changed at all, right? Like Tavi was just trying to get back and was doing the best he could. So mm-hmm. I was kind of thrown through a loop by that part. And that that's kind of pedantic, but it was one thing that really stuck with me throughout the book. Well, yeah. And Bernard, he lost his, he lost his memory of the event. So oh, yeah. he yeah. doesn't necessarily know what happened. He just knows that he, got, he was very injured. And that his sister almost died trying to save him. And so there were some very serious consequences to Tavi letting the herd or not bringing the herd in the night before. And so I think he was justifiably angry and it wasn't, it wasn't like he was violently angry at Tavi. It was just like, he was, he was very like, I think upset and frustrated at the situation. And Tavi was right rightfully confused because he didn't realize initially that his uncle had forgotten and so he was like i, I thought we had like worked this out we worked this so out, right why are, why are we bringing this back up it just kind of seems like maybe a cooler head like i feel like if you lost your memory of an event that you would probably like try and uh, like assume that things had been worked out instead of like going in that hot I don't know. Obviously, it's a tricky situation. His sister almost died saving him. He's like almost like mortally injured. So yeah, I, I get it. It was just kind of um, interesting to see. And then this this part of the book, it was just like thing after thing after thing was happening. So like we get back to the homestead. Uh, we kind of um, Bernard puts puts Amara like helps her kind of get cleaned up. We start start to see this romance develop a little bit, and then very quickly. Uh, Fidelius shows up at the homestead so like and and it's interesting because uh typically like a homestead it's like your your safe place right you're like okay the characters made it back like they're safe for now at least Mm -hmm. and in this case that did not last very long and they were just like all right let's uh, you know butcher was like let's get this get this plot moving because like they didn't even have a whole night right where it was like all of a sudden they're on the run again yeah, they realized pretty quickly that the, those innocent travelers weren't so innocent and that there was something that they were hiding. And and it was related to Amara showing up. And, and then those people quickly realized that they knew who they were. And so it, it, it very rapidly set events in motion that caused our characters to be on the run again. Yeah. Very the- little downtime very little downtime right and it's one of those things again like when i was reading this i had like recently sprained my ankle and if i remember right uh amara had also sprained her ankle i'm like there's no way she could be doing this if it was that bad of a sprain you know if it was like mm-hmm. turning black and blue i'm like just no way you know but you know that's kind of pot armor for you um was she healed at all by I don't, I don't think so because she still does like treat it pretty gingerly but you know it's still like i don't know there's only so far you can limp on a severely sprained ankle you know Mm -hmm. okay so so their party gets broken up miraculously they like kind of all escape but that doesn't last very long because like they all meet that or they end up 
being thwarted by by cord like the village idiot that we had referenced earlier who is somehow in the perfect place to to thwart their escape <laughs> yeah you're always just like man that guy again yeah that guy you're like cool but he he very clearly uh um asserts himself as a threat because like one of his uh kids end up ends up dying and so he's pretty ticked off uh he ends up I think one of his kids, right, like sets like the forest on fire or something. So everything's kind of pretty chaotic. And uh, Bernard and Amara end up escaping, but Asana um, and Odiana, who is who was Fidelius's uh, traveling companion, they end up being captured by Cord. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think about this whole plot line? This is this is where th- when Odiana and Asana are taken prisoner. Odiana has like a slave collar put on and this is where I'm like this is like just straight lifted from um from wheel of time with the yeah you know uh collar that I said with the, with the yeah to to control them yeah, yeah it, it certainly I remember thinking something like this is a lot like the wheel of time and the the collaring of the eyes or and uh this is also where I, I remember reading this and thinking this book is a lot more adult than I remember it because of the implications on what Odiana had done to her and what they mm. were doing to her now and yeah. what they were going to do to Asana. It was a very adult moment, a little bit. Yeah. yeah uh, for some, sure. Something that something that I, I didn't remember reading beforehand. Yeah, that's and, a big big trigger warning there like uh you know rape is discussed in in pretty explicit detail and that's something that like wheel of time doesn't really do right like wheel of time it's like they're kind of tortured through menial tasks or maybe but it's not it's never like rape is explicitly talked about right so that it's kind of different yeah i don't i don't remember exactly it's been a while since i've read wheel of time so i couldn't say how into detail they go but i think you're right yeah from from what i remember it was like almost like if they tried disobeying an order then it was almost like the cruciardo curse or whatever from harry potter like they just like felt like unbearable pain but like most Mm -hmm. of the time their orders were just like do this do that and maybe like they're used to fight and stuff but like it's never like as Mm -hmm. sexually explicit as this and especially i agree with you when you learn about like odiana's backstory it does kind of explain how she why she is the way she is it doesn't make any more pleasant to read about and again i thought it was one of the plot lines that could have been written out of the book and the book wouldn't have really suffered but you know maybe at that point i'm glad it's in there because it does uh add a different dimension yeah and it brings together two very different people it brings together isana and odiana who Mm -hmm are each on opposite sides of the conflict, but they come together with a common enemy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Odiana does serve to give some plot armor to our characters near the end of the book. So that's good to, to kind of have this deeper relationship with her. Yeah, Asana saves Odiana's life. So Odiana saves uh, Bernard's life later on. Yeah, so I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of that. And it does, you know, this is, you're kind of getting to like at this point in the book, you're kind of getting a sense that like, okay, things are kind of heating up a little bit. Like uh, things are really moving now, but also uh, uh, like when this is happening, 
Tavi has been off having his own adventure because he's been captured by the the Murat 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 Murat, and we learn that there's like different tribes, and he has to uh, do a a task right where he and um, uh, and somebody else have to try and like retrieve something and make it back alive. So, what did you think about this whole plot point? Um, I thought it was a fun little twist where Katai Tavi thinks that she is a boy the whole time because uh, her her dad just calls her his whelp, and yeah. so the whole time he's thinking that that she's a boy and she is a lot less likable kind of like a nemesis to him and his goals and then he realizes that she's a girl and then all of a sudden he's like oh we should work together well to be fair he was giving even when he thought that she was a boy he was like kind of giving uh, her the benefit of the doubt like i mean she tried to like kill him or maybe like seriously maim him when he was climbing down the rope and she just starts cutting him you know yeah, like that's, that's pretty messed up and so and then he's willing to forgive her then and like so he does get, he, he gives her the, he like definitely treats her like a nemesis, but he definitely gives her the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, I mean, this whole like sequence was just like, it was like another one, like where there's so much going on in this book, you know, like I just want to spend a lot more time in this like uh, mysterious, like place that they've gone to where there's like wax spiders apparently. And like mm-hmm. all these like very intriguing, like, deeply magical parts of the world that i just wanted to spend more time in yeah this this was certainly uh, this was a fun part of the book as well as like learning more about the marat we're also learning more about this mysterious wax forest the the thing that i that i didn't like about this part was they're very careful to sneak in to get the um i i forget the the mushroom or the plant whatever they need right some magical healing thing that Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and then like they're trying to sneak past these keepers and then they get it and then they just like run out i guess tavi runs out at full speed sets everything on fire yeah i'm like the freaking tree on fire yeah like couldn't you have just like run in there and grabbed it and then run out like did you need to sneak in there if you could have just i don't know maybe seemed it seemed a little um forced okay yeah i so i don't know uh, um well it just seemed a little easy for them to get out i guess it wasn't too easy because i mean she almost dies and he has to like you know i i thought it was really well done it was very cinematic but yeah i agree it just it felt like it was resolved pretty quickly but it was cool to learn like that her dad had kind of like counted on them tying so that they could find like this yeah. weird loophole and he could like take control of the armies through that somehow. I don't know that, that whole politicking kind of did feel forced to me. Cause I'm like, I know nothing about like, I'm just accepting that this is like going to be a thing and I yeah. have no reason why I should be accepting that, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like that kind of all felt forced. Yeah. It, it's, it's one thing for, for the author to write like, all these political ins and outs and then the reader kind of puts things together and is like oh well, what if this happens yeah but for this it was like Tavi's like oh man what if we tie and she's like 
oh, maybe that's what my dad <laughs> wanted us to do this whole time is he wanted us to tie. And so we all went that way. I'm like, this seems like a little convenient, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if her dad wanted that to happen, he could have just like whispered it in her ear before yeah. like risking their life. Yeah, anyway, it is what it is. There's some things, and this is again, why it might borderline on YA because it's like, there's you're not super into like the political machinations but like just enough so that like you feel like you should be so it, it kind of rides on line you know mm-hmm. but it does set it up well for like tavi to like so i guess in conjunction with this our other heroes have kind of found themselves in a weird spot because they're all kind of holed up in this uh castle that is currently being attacked and there's really no hope even though like the the town folk have like succeeded in like raising the wall by a certain number of feet. So that like it made them safer, but uh, you're still get the sense that the situation is pretty dire. And then here comes Tavi with his like newly acquired army because he comp- completed this, uh, some task, you know, I thought mm-hmm. it was, it was cool, but it was still kind of lacking for me. Yeah. It, it, it didn't, feel as hard as i thought it was going to be it it, like everything came together in the end and i i I don't know the the sense of danger was was quickly eliminated right in in a way in a ya type of way yeah It, it was definitely like here's i don't know yeah what do you think about like the duel between the two like captains of the marat marat like because didn't Tavi like help him like say watch out or something like as soon as he was like as soon as well uh, there was another one of the other chieftains when he realized that like the enemy chief I forget his name when he was gonna lose he like took out a poison bow or something and mm -hmm. was gonna shoot uh Daroga and Tavi was like watch out and he warned him and so I think once once they realized that they were going to cheat to win, if they couldn't win, then all bets were off and everybody just started fighting everybody. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. But again, you're giving Tavi like a lot of credit for like doing what literally anybody would have done in that situation. So one thing I will say about um, this kind of battle scene uh, after everybody shows up, it was really crazy to see, Fidelia is fighting and there's also like a few characters we haven't even mentioned yet like that uh Fidelius his companion who's like the sword master um, ex gladius yeah and so he's like freaking like taking our characters out left and right and then here comes like Tavi's traveling companion who's kind of like corridor that like he clearly has like Order. some type of mental thing going like yeah maybe a little bit fade yeah developmentally uh like not all there um that was another slightly cheesy part of the book where like aldrich x gladius the whole time he's like every other sword fight he's like the only person who's been able to do that before is araris valerian but you're not araris valerian and then at the end of the book it's like oh well here is araris valerian back from the dead to fight you yeah and you're like how did he arrive there like what i mean has he just been acting kind of slow the whole time um and, or and does he is he just kind of triggered by like uh, action like he can kind of snap out of the breeze 
Yeah, I think that's those questions will be answered in later books. Okay. Uh, and then it was kind of cheesy where he like uh, he you think he's gonna lose, but he's like actually been like carving out like this ground so that uh, so um, that his enemy will like fall to his death yeah. or something. Uh, that was interesting. I actually liked that part. I don't I mean, know why. Yeah, very cinematic, but like again, bordering on like the YA, right? Where you're like, okay, that was like just so over the top. But yeah, in the midst of this battle, we think that Bernard has died. We're pretty sure uh, the Fidelius has died, right? Because uh, didn't Tavi stab him in the back, or who? Somebody stabbed him, right? So yeah, you, you think like all these, and and it kind of it ends up that like. Uh, Odiana kind of goes around and saves everybody that you think had had died. Mm-hmm. So did did any of our main characters actually die? No, <laughs> not really. The only people that died were the soldiers on the battlefield and the chieftain of the Herdbane clan. Yeah, and uh, the uh, who the the evil guy from the village um cord cord yeah he he gets his comeuppance yeah um, yeah he does definitely so that was good to see yeah so i and then and then here's here's where it got a little cheesy for me right where it's like so, so battle's over it's like the next morning or whatever and suddenly tavi is like getting like high praises from the king and it's like you saved us and you're like okay rightfully so and he's like what's your one request if you could request anything and Tavi's like I want to go learn at the school you know mm-hmm. and you're like really like you haven't had like a perspective change throughout all this like <laughs> that's still your ambition you know it's it's almost like normally characters start out at the school and then realize that like there's life outside of the school that they should yeah. be participating in I don't know so that was kind of that was kind of funny to me my big gripe with this story that I don't remember through the first time reading is that Tavi is so much of a goody two shoes where (laughs) he just, he just always does the right thing at the right time. And he's not even like a Mary Sue because it's not even like he's that competent. Right. Yeah. But, but I agree. It's like, uh, he, yeah, it's not even he's not that strong or overpowered or anything, but he's he's just always like so earnestly trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's just it's kind of annoying because he, he like doesn't really have any flaws other than the fact that he can't fury craft. Yeah. Because other than that, he's like very intelligent, witty, he's like outwitting adults and doing things that don't seem super realistic for somebody at that age once again this is fantasy so not that i'm not that this has to be 100 realistic but uh, um i was thinking to myself like ah, i don't i don't see that happening so i don't know and 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 tavi's just like oh i i, I would you would you please just help out all of the people who were displaced from yeah. like yeah help, help them with their finances yeah too it's much like, of a boy scout for sure yeah i'm, I'm um, like I'm like ask for some training to learn how to fury craft or some yeah sick suit of armor i don't know 
Now, it is interesting because there's a few comments made throughout the book that like gave a very like chosen one vibe to Tavi. And they're kind of throwaway comments in a they weren't throwaway, they're like foreshadowing comments where I'm s I don't really know what they mean, but I, I am intrigued. Like that is one thing that is intriguing me. Like what it, what about him is so uh interesting to Bernard um and Asana that they are like like think that he's super important for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Because he's their special baby. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It is intriguing. Uh, there's definitely a strong direction that, like I, I like I said, I, some pros of this book is that it developed a strong cast of characters to like last throughout the series. Sometimes, like at the end of a book, you're like, "Well, we followed our three people throughout, and now where is this going to go?" But like this book, you're like, "Okay, I know like Tavi's going to the school. Like, you know, you kind of know where each character is going to, uh, what they're going to be doing, and so that is." while at the same time having like this pretty big resolution right so i i was a fan of the ending in that respect yeah i i like the world building a lot with um like i mentioned the furies i like the marat they remind me a lot of the blue people from avatar the 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 world of pandora or the Um, aiel from wheel of time which is like another glaring similarity that we haven't discussed before Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like the way that they they have like different clans have these different animals that they bond and it's interesting how Tavi and Katai somehow became bonded so we'll see what that holds in the future um, I, I, I did definitely like the story I, I think I talked I feel like I talked more at the end about things I didn't like but I, I do want to say that um i do like this story i like the world i like um the magic system how it is similar to pokemon with these furies that manifest and so yeah i think those are some of my high points from it yeah okay well i think we have just enough time to do a worst of the best um i'll go first so if you if you don't have one then you can use this time to think about it the worst of the best With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. This is something I think I've mentioned, but it, it was, I really enjoyed that final battle where the stakes felt like they were super high. Uh, it felt like our some of the main characters that we've been with the whole book were kind of getting picked off. I thought that Fidelius was going to be a goner. I thought Bernard was going to be a goner. So that was a highlight. And then it seemed like all of that was undone. And I just, I wish that, you know, it's not that I wish that Bernard had died because I really like Bernard, but like it, it takes guts to kill off characters in books. And I, and I feel like if that had been done, then it would have, it would have gained a couple, like it would have probably gone up to a 7.5 or an eight had that happened, honestly, because, you know, it just, then the stakes seem real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, there was some pretty strong plot armor 
around all of the important people. And, and at least it made sense in world, you know, like I did like the foreshadowing, like you had mentioned, or not the foreshadowing, but like the reason like, okay, Asana saved Odiana, so Odiana is repaying the favor. It makes sense, but it's it, like either Odiana is way OP because she can just like save anybody. I don't know. Or like she, I just don't think she would be like realistically using that ability to like save the people that she's been fighting against. But mm-hmm. anyway, that is my worst of the best. I think my worst of the best is, hmm, I, I want to say the scene with the dagger, the, the Aquitaine dagger that everybody's fighting over because of the implication that well if we have this then we have proof that it's house aquitaine right and uh what ends up happening is much to uh the good guys um their misfortune they lose track of this dagger and it ends up back in fidelius and i did really like this because it, it 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 prevents prevents them from acting openly against these bad characters but at the same time i didn't like it because it prevents them from acting openly against these bad guys you're like yeah man these guys these they literally just like assaulted the they literally assaulted the empire or got the marat to do it but because of politics we can't do anything about it yeah i agree and plus, it's hard to follow. Like, that whole logic was just, like, hard to follow. And it's another example of, like, these political things happening that have a lot of impact in the world. And us as readers just kind of accepting it at face value. And so, anyway, yeah, that's a good yeah. verse of the best. Um, okay, any, any parting thoughts? No, I think that if you do like Dresden Files, that you will probably yeah. like these books as well. Yep, for sure. I mean, like, if you like Dresden Files just because you're a big fan of the urban fantasy genre, then that's you might not like these books. But if you like Dresden Files because you're a fan of Jim Butcher and his ability to tell a compelling story and paint, you know, realistic characters that you can really have fun reading about, yeah, you'll for, mm-hmm. you'll for sure like this book. I mean, I give it a 7.5 out of 10, so it's by no means a perfect book, but it's no. enjoyable and it does show off the versatility of Jim Butcher how he improves as an author and he also he i mean not recently i think it was back in like 2016 or so but he started a steampunk series which i haven't started he only has one book out in the series and i haven't heard anything about the next book but i'm interested to see where that goes um because it seems like jim butcher only gets better as time goes on yeah for sure um, okay, we'll just play our channel one more time. Um, go ahead and find us on Discord. Um, join the conversation there. Tell us about the fact that we like missed a few plot points, like the fact that we didn't even talk about like the dagger until the very final worst of the best segment, as well as recommend other books. Have some books recommended to you. Um, we have some people on Discord that have just read so many books and they're always willing to give recommendations out. Mm-hmm. so yeah find us on discord and um sub us on youtube we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers by the end of 2021 and we're out like eight 870 or something right now so uh any little bit counts and yeah i guess we we are 
finishing up our sexiest villains poll right now on Twitter, our bracket on Twitter. Um, we have not decided what the, that'll probably be done by the time you're listening to this, but we have not decided what the next, uh, the next bracket is going to be, but we do do monthly brackets and the winner does get some Phantology swag. So if you're interested in participating in that, then follow us on Twitter and we'll for sure be um, promoting next month, next month's bracket. Okay, well, thanks for jumping on, Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll we'll probably. I I'm wanting to continue reading this. I know you said you've already finished your reread of the second book, so I'll catch up to you. Um, there's you know a lot of the final book in the and the first uh, first law trilogy or world is is coming out next month. So that's something that we're going to be reading. We're reading Foundation bef- be- before that comes out on Apple TV Plus. So. Uh, there's kind of a lot of things on our docket right now, but we'll we'll for sure get around to the series when we have some some free time. Are you all caught up in the first law world? I have one more book. I've read the there's so there's the final trilogy, right? Like after all the standalones, uh, I've read the first book in that trilogy, so I know read the next. So book. you read a, a little hatred. Yeah. Okay. And then I haven't read Sharp Ends, which is like the a bunch of short stories. Oh. Um, but I've read everything else, so. Okay. I'm excited. I, wa- I wanted one of the reasons I haven't read that second book in the in the final trilogy is because I wanted to like read it right before this next book came out. Because mm-hmm. it's like when you uh, when you read Joe Abercrombie, it's very hard to read other authors because he has such like a compelling voice, and I, I find that I really need to kind of like sink deep into his writing. Um, and so I wanted to kind of group those books together as much as possible. Cool. Um, yep. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. See you later. See you.